Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host Scott Hemingway, and we're sweating to death here in the Umber Yard today. Mm. I think we're going to die. Yeah, I think I just did. You just did? Yeah. Well, there you go. It was nice knowing you, Scott. Yeah, it was, I, it was good while it lasted. It certainly was. <laughs> <laughs> Dark Poutine does not for the faint of heart or squeamish, as our content contains mature themes, harsh language, and graphic descriptions of violent crimes. Listener discretion is strongly advised. And this one's a little difficult, so FYI. Good, I'm ready to get mad at somebody. We're not experts on any of the topics we present, nor are we professional journalists. We're just two regular Canadians interested in crime and the darker side of history. Let's get to it. Grab your toque, grab yourself a double-double, and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Episode 37, Scott. Wow. Eh. Speaking of uh, Nanaimo bars, I was just through, I went, just drove through Nanaimo and it didn't even occur to me to get a goddamn Nanaimo bar. I think I failed. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. I think our listeners will be very disappointed. They should. They, they, They should be. I need to be held accountable for this. They may want to kick you in the poop chute. That's okay. It was brought to my attention that I was remiss in uh, that euphemism for your undercarriage. Oh. I didn't. Poop shoot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is that is a good shoot. one. It's, it's a good one. I used leather Cheerio and Stinkwinker, though, which people liked. Stinkwinker is the best. I don't mean that in like, <laughs> like I'm a, like I, I like, I seek them out. Yeah, that's good. I just mean it like it's a great, great uh, nickname. Well, now for the serious part. <laughs> this episode is about a crime that took place in Alberta, just outside of Edmonton. Marie McCann was born on October 15th, 1932 in a small Alberta village called Torrington to Emile and Anna Waltz. Life wasn't easy in rural Alberta, and Marie and her sister had to do chores to keep the home fires burning, literally. Each mm. morning, one of those chores was to ensure that there was wood for the fire. Oh, well, 1932, I, not a lot of uh, heat. Yeah, I, I'm just delete. No, I am not going to edit oh, that out at all. Oh, damn it. Lyle McCann was born a year earlier on August 24th, 1931, to Tom and Estella McCann, and they live near Red Deer. Hmm. 
I love the names of places in Alberta, actually. Do you? You like the name Red Deer? I do. I like Red Deer and Medicine Hat. I like Medicine Hat. I like these names. Like, I just, like, how can you, I, all I can picture is a top hat with medicine in it. People have accused us of not being kind to Alberta over the <laughs> over got, the years. I've got family there. A lot of my uh, family yes. lives in Calgary. Yeah, Carol's family all lives in, in Calgary as well. So, But that's part of, that's part of why I have a joking battle with Calgary. The uh, family jokes were always, everybody would make fun. The Calgary family would make fun of Vancouver. Oh, you're just a bunch of lazy hippies And the out Calgary there. family will make fun of Edmonton too because the whole battle For of sure. Alberta. For sure, absolutely. But yeah. then, you know, my mom and the Vancouver family would always, be like because the calgary family oh we are prosperous because we work hard and we'd always be like no you're prosperous because you like live above oil yeah fair enough and so yeah anyways that's why that's why it's kind of a joking thing in, in my family so yeah i mean no no ill will yeah kind of do though back to the podcast 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 lyle and marie mccann married on july 30th 1952 in marie's hometown they were given a cow as a wedding gift. Okay. I'm not sure if that was common practice in those days. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but you, you what an interesting gift. You weren't given one for your... I was not given a cow. Oh, I was totally given one. What? Yeah. I missed out somehow. You totally did. And we still have it. Yeah, just look harder next time you're over. <laughs> All the time that I've known you, I don't think I've ever been in the basement. Hmm? Is this where your cow lives? Only one way to find out. <laughs> I guess I'm afraid to go to your basement. <laughs> We, I do a podcast with you, and uh, I'm afraid to go to your basement. That's the right, the right call. In 1964, Lyle and Marie moved their family to St. Albert, Alberta, a community just outside of Edmonton, which is Alberta's capital. And we've slagged mm. Edmonton enough in this lifetime, and I've had enough angry emails and Facebook posts that I will no longer even joke about <laughs> Edmonton at all. One thing I noticed about Albertans, especially those from Edmonton, they are very, very uh, adamant that they love the place that they live. Yeah. And they will defend it to the end. So I don't want to give them an opportunity to have to expend that kind of energy anymore. I've got no concerns. About, I have no dislike towards Edmonton. No, I don't uh, really. I don't at all, actually. In the hockey world, I always did just because they were such a dynasty for so long when I was growing up that you kind of, like, oh, damn you, Edmonton. But it was just a sporting rivalry. I've got no... I loved Gretzky. I loved to watch him play. I hated how much better than the Canucks they were. <laughs> well, there you go. So that's an envy thing. That's an envy. Totally. I did go to the West Edmonton Mall once. There's a submarine there. I went in. That's nice. Just putting that out there. Lyle McCann was a long-haul truck driver for many years. His route took him throughout Western Canada and sometimes the rest of North America. Lyle and Marie had three children. Breton, Lance, and Trudy. They were the proud grandparents of five and even had two great-grandchildren. In his retirement, Lyle kept up his love for long drives by buying a 1999 green and white Gulfstream Sun Voyager motorhome in 2004. Even though it was five years old when they bought it, Lyle cared for the RV so well it was often mistaken for new. Lyle and Marie drove throughout Alberta and BC in the summer and often went south to the warmer climate in the U.S. during the winter. Lyle loved going fishing at his favorite spot at a campground near Athabasca. I also like to say that word. Yes, a great word. Athabasca. Yeah. Lyle would plan their long trips step by step and took care of his vehicles, both the RV and the small light green Hyundai Tucson SUV they towed behind them as a runabout. Hmm. Lyle was a cautious driver and always had a cell phone on the dash in case of emergency. They didn't use it otherwise. It was just there. Hmm. Like every other family, the McCanns had their issues. 
Trudy later said that she barely spoke with her brothers before her parents' disappearance. Her middle brother, Lance, was a longtime alcoholic, and that put some strain on the family, as it does. Yeah. Lyle loved Marie. Marie had started forgetting things. Her memory didn't seem to be as good as it once had been. Lyle began playing Ramoli with Marie regularly, hoping the game would help Marie to exercise her mind and slow the progress of her memory loss. I have no idea what Ramoli is. I do not either, but it actually sounds like a very Canadian game. And what a loving uh, husband. They were well liked by their neighbors who remember them as clean and meticulous about their yard and those kind of things. Mm. On the evening of July 2nd, 2010, after eating some fried chicken, Lyle and his eldest son, Brett, played nine ball on Lyle's pool table. Before they said goodnight, the two men put a gift for Brett's grandson, Benson, into the RV. And so that would have been their great-grandson. Mm -hmm. Lyle and Marie were to deliver the gift during their trip to BC. On July 3rd, 2010, Marie and Lyle McCann left their home to start their trek to a campground in Cultus Lake, just outside Chilliwack. Yeah, beautiful location. Uh, yeah, I've been there a bunch of times. Yeah. The water slides are fun. Yeah, yeah. Their plan was to make it all the way to Blue River near Valemont, BC, 480 kilometers away on their first day of driving. Mm. So for, you know, almost five-hour drive. Yeah, yeah, manageable, especially in a nice RV. The McCanns were seen on security video at 9.30 a.m. at the St. Albert Superstore. Lyle was filling the RV with gas while Marie grocery shopped in the store. The McCanns pulled out of the Superstore parking lot at 10.08 a.m. The security cam footage is the last known video of Lyle and Marie anyone would see. Mm. On the morning of July 5th, 2010... At around 6.30 a.m., the McCann's RV was spotted at the, in the Minnow Lake campground by Rolf Wenas. He's the caretaker of the campgrounds at Wolf Lake and Minnow Lake, about 200 kilometers west of St. Albert. Mm. The RV was parked in a lot in the small horseshoe-shaped campground consisting of only nine sites. The green Hyundai SUV was nose-in beside the RV. As there's no registration in the overnight self-registration box... When us knocked on the door of the RV, the curtains were drawn. There was no answer. When us waited around for about 15 minutes, but no one arrived or came out of the RV. He left. When us came back at 12.30 p.m., there was no change. Nothing had moved. The curtains were still drawn inside the RV, and there was no answer to repeated knocks on the door. This time, when us waited for almost 20 minutes before he left. Shortly after 7 p.m., a blaze was reported to the Edson Fire Department. There was an RV engulfed in flames a half hour away, about a kilometer from the Minnow Lake campground. It took fire crews an hour to get to the burning vehicle, because Edison is like 50 kilometers away. I would imagine extremely rural. Yeah. The fire was so intense, when they arrived, firemen had trouble approaching to fight it. The windshield of the RV had blown out and was flung 20 feet away. Oh, wow. All the tires blew in the blaze as well. Mm -hmm. Once the fire was out, firemen checked whether anybody had been inside. There was no evidence of anyone having been in the RV at the time of the blaze, and it was believed that the blaze would not have been survivable regardless. Yeah. The RV was just a charred skeleton when the fire was finally extinguished, and we saw that picture of it later. And it's a perfect description, just a charred skeleton. That's it. Yeah. Nothing else. From a CBC article, quote, RCMP did not preserve or contain the burn site as a crime scene. There were no exhibits collected, no yellow tape put up. The burned-out motorhome's shell was hauled to the Edson dump the next day. Oh. 
and the chassis was taken to a storage yard in Edson, and end quote. It wasn't unusual to find a camper burning in the wilderness, and there were no missing persons at the time, so cops assumed it was just an abandoned junker that someone had set fire to. Yeah, I get it, but still. Mm. Yeah, well, this is mistake number one, yeah. I believe. Mm. On July 10th, 2010, Trudy Holder, the McCann's daughter, arrived at the Abbotsford Airport. The McCanns were supposed to pick Trudy up at the airport, and she was going to join them for a while at the campground in Cultus Lake. <laughs> When they weren't there, Trudy was worried. Lyle made a habit of being punctual and prided himself on it. I mean, he was a trucker after all. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Her dad was never late and he would have left word if something was keeping them. And he didn't. Mm -hmm. Trudy called the RCMP to report her parents missing. When it turned out they hadn't made it to any of the campgrounds they had intended to, the search began. Just the panic that must be setting in with yep. the family. So they left on July 3rd. And now it's July 10th and people are just realizing they're missing. So mm -hmm. that's an entire week. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps the McCanns had some sort of accident on their drive through Alberta and BC, but there was no sign of them. And like I say, Lyle was a, an experienced truck driver, so the chances of him having an accident were probably fairly slim. Yep. Mounties started searching for the vehicle as well. They realized that the burned RV in Edson was the same one that belonged to the McCanns. Hmm. They searched the area with an accelerant dog and found nothing uh, conclusive one way or the other. Either the fire was accidental or intentional, but as they had not secured the site initially, much of the evidence was lost. Yep. There are theories that it was set, but there's still no hard evidence that it was. What do you mean set? That it was an intentional that fire? That it was an intentional fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's assumed now with what we learned. Yeah. Later. Yeah. But at the time. Mm -hmm. On July 13th, 2010, two people claimed they'd seen the light green Hyundai Tucson SUV that the McCanns had been driving close to Prince George. And that's seven and a half hours away from St. Albert. Nothing mm. came of this lead. It turned out to be uh, a red herring. Yeah. Well, I imagine there's not, there's more than just one green Hyundai Tucson. Also, on July 13th, 2010, RCMP got what should have been their first big break in the case. Mm. In Piers, Alberta, 40 kilometers away from where the burned out RV had been found, police were checking up on a colorful individual who went by the name Bandana Dave Olson. And you'll never guess why they called him Bandana Dave. I showed you a picture of him. Because he hates bandanas. Right. Yeah, thought so. I think it's actually the opposite. Oh, yeah, he did He did seem to have a colorful bandana he around did. his neck. Yeah. He didn't appear to have, uh, and a, this isn't a judgment, but he didn't appear to uh, have the best dental <laughs> health. Well, it, like, I, he probably self-labeled himself Bandana Dave. Like he came up with his own nickname. I'm, I'm going to be like, Shirt Scott Hemingway. Shirt Scott Hemingway? Yeah, because I wear shirts. Okay. Yeah, shirts. What Scott? should I be then? Glasses, Mike Brown. That's dumb. Yeah, well, so is Bandana Dave. <laughs> there you go. Dave Olson was under watch as he'd been recently charged with cultivation of marijuana, the devil weed. Dun, dun, dun. And part of his release conditions involved regular visits from the RCMP. You know, we've been through this before. They don't lock you up rurally until after you're convicted. Yeah. They just uh, come visit you. Yep. Bandana Dave had a story to tell. It was one that was nagging him. He hmm. wanted to talk about his friend, hmm. Travis Edward Vader. Hmm. And yes, it is Vader as in Darth Vader. That's hmm. his last name. Coincidence? Well, 
I think not. I'm going to say that uh, I would not be surprised if this gentleman had not been related to Darth Vader in some way. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Olsen also told the cops that Vader, who he'd known only for about eight months, was at his trailer in the mobile home park almost every day, smoking meth and drinking beer. Okay. What? That sounds, doesn't sound like something a man named Bandana Dave would be doing. Well, I guess it was. Huh. Travis had lost his job in the oil patch sometime in 2009, and he blew through the cash that he'd had from there. And apparently his last paycheck was like $100,000. The the oil field is a lucrative place it, to work. It's pretty clear. Or it was, I should say. Yeah. After his own truck was repossessed, Travis Vader showed up at Dave's place with a lot of different stolen trucks many, many times. Hmm. As many as 25 or 30 over the course of their friendship, Olson estimated. Oh, wow. That's a lot of stealing of trucks. Hmm. Travis was selling meth and stealing to get by. He mostly stole copper, claiming he was stealing 5,000 pounds at a time, which brought him between two and three bucks a pound. Shit. We personally, you and I both know the havoc that uh, copper wire theft can cause. Uh, sometimes when your cable phone or internet is down, it's because some scumball has stolen a length of above ground telecom wire. Every once in a while, they get fried doing it. Yep. Uh... <laughs> There have been many kilometers of wire taken in one go, mm -hmm. and Travis Vader could have been somebody doing just that. Yep. Who knows? This all happened before I was at that other telecom that we used to work at. Yep. Perhaps Travis Vader caused one of the outages that you had to deal with there. It's quite possible. Isn't this another reason for me to despise him? Because <laughs> then, then we would get the calls, and I'd get all the escalations. Yep. Of, Why is my cable down? Had I known, I'd be like, Travis Vader. Travis Edward That's, Vader. Yeah, did just it. like give him a call, not me. Exactly. Travis was known to destroy the vehicles that he had stolen, burning them after he's done with them. On July 3rd, 2010, Vader had been at Olson's house around noon driving a stolen but beat up Ford F-350. He put some lawnmower oil into the jalopy and it seemed almost on its last legs. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> lawnmower oil. <laughs> it's not the most... Uh... Uh, efficient fuel. Sure, or whatever. Vader said he was broke and hungry and needed some quick cash. Travis used Dave Olson's landline to make three calls to his girlfriend, Amber Williams, but she didn't answer. Frustrated, Vader left Dave's trailer in the F-350 shortly after 12.15. Olson told them that Travis Vader came back to his place around 5.15 p.m. This time, he was driving a little green Hyundai SUV. Hmm. Who was towing an SUV of the Hyundai variety behind them? The McCanns. Yeah, that wonderful innocent family. Travis backed the SUV into the driveway and parked it as far back from the main street as he could. In Alberta, the license plate is only required on the rear of the vehicle, so this would obscure the plate from view. Yeah, in BC it has to be uh, visible you know, front end. Right, yeah. so why would he want to obscure the plate on a vehicle? Well, perhaps he had stolen that vehicle or something even more nefarious. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, both of those. Yeah. Dave Olson went out, bought beer and smokes and a cell phone pay-as-you-go card with the cash that Travis had given him. Hmm. Where to get cash? He was hungry before. Mm -hmm. The two spent the evening drinking as Travis frantically texted his girlfriend, Amber Williams, using the cell phone he'd been given by his ex, Andrea Sexsmith. At 7.30 p.m., another friend, Miles Ingersoll, arrived at the Olsen residence. 
Olson told the police that he'd seen in the paper later that an older couple had gone missing and that one of the vehicles they had was that little green Hyundai SUV. Mm-hmm. He said he was concerned that his buddy Travis had something to do with the disappearance of the McCanns. Although skeptical of Dave's motives, RCMP decided to follow up on the lead. I wonder why they were skeptical. Well, band and Dave. Well, yeah, but it sounds like some pretty specific uh, information. They were not skeptical about the information. They were skeptical about his motives for giving the information. Mm, yeah, okay. It's like, don't look over there. Don't. Don't charge me so so much for yeah. all the weed that I've yeah. been. Well, and also they might have been skeptical that he had something to do with it and is just trying to yep. dis, uh, point them somewhere else. So they went to Miles Ingersoll's place and Miles confirmed that he had been at Dave Olson's on July 3rd and that he had noticed Travis Vader seemed agitated as if something was really bugging him. Hmm. He said that when he got to Dave's, he parked in front of the Hyundai SUV, which was seafoam green in color, and it had a tow bar on the front bumper, Mm -hmm. exactly what the McCann's had. Five minutes after Miles had arrived at Bandana Dave's, Travis wanted to leave. Miles had to move his car for Travis to get the SUV out, and Travis took the remaining beers with him and split. Hmm. You know, uh, Travis doesn't seem like the smartest guy uh, right off the bat, but then Let's say hypothetically, he's guilty of this. What a moron to then go and publicly he, be seen in the vehicle, like parking it and talking to like. Idiot. But he could have thought these two colorful individuals wouldn't tattle. Just, you know, he's a moron, though. Like just, I'm, like, not, I'm not arguing with you. Yeah, like it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Cops began looking for the 38-year-old Travis Edward Vader, a man known to them with a couple of convictions on his record. On June 24, 2006, Edson, Alberta, Vader assaulted a police officer and was sentenced to 35 days in jail. Yep, idiot. On September 26, 2007, also in Edson, he was charged and convicted of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle. He was sentenced to a month in jail and 12 months probation. Idiot. And also 12 months of prohibition from driving. I guess he would be what we would consider. A bad apple. A bad apple. Totes a bad apple. Totes. Vader was in the wind. His friends and known associates claimed they had no idea where he was. On July 16th, 2010, this is 13 days after the disappearance of Marie and Lyle McCann, Mm. their SUV was discovered in a stand of trees on an unused farm called the Sampson Rotor property. The SUV was a dirty mess inside and out. It contained a wealth of damning evidence, but there's still no sign of the McCann's. From court documents. When the SUV was subsequently examined in an RCMP garage, it was found to contain a number of items, including a can of boxer beer and a cup holder in the console between the two front seats, a propane tank and a shopping basket in the back, along with several loose potatoes. Superstore no-name brand cans of food products were also recovered. These cans matched the type of food products that were purchased by the McCanns from the St. Albert Superstore on July 3rd, 2010 at 10.08. Hmm. Hmm. Two baseball hats were in the SUV. One had the text Vopac, while the other had a logo for Bogues Draft, and that's spelled B-O-A-G. And the Bogues hat had a small hole in its brim. The video images of Lyle McCann, captured at the St. Albert Superstore on July 3rd, showed him wearing what appeared to be that Bogues hat. Blood was in several locations in the SUV, on the Bogues hat and on the Superstore no-name cans. 
lots of analysis had to be done to gather more information about what secrets this evidence might reveal. Yeah. That same day, RCMP publicly named Travis Edward Vader as a person of interest in the disappearance of Lyle and Marie McCann. They claimed they wanted to speak with Vader, but warned the public not to approach him if seen, but to call them immediately. The next day, RCMP also found the burned-out F-350 at the Encana oil well site north of Highway 16. Between the rear of the truck and its box, guess what they found? Um, uh, Chupacabra? No. Huh. It was the Hyundai key fob. And the key matched the SUV. Hmm. This is really some um, significant evidence compiling against them. Yes. Early on, RCMP came under heavy fire from the press and public, stating that they'd bungled the case from the beginning and that too much time had passed. Yeah, I can can understand that frustration. I could see why people were upset. On July 19th, Travis Edward Vader was arrested after a brief chase near a friend's home. He had the cell phone Andrea Sexsmith had on him when he was taken down cops seized the phone as evidence. They held him on other charges, including possession of weapons, stolen property, as well as drug-related offenses while they built their case against Vader, who was not talking. Hmm. November 4th, 2010, in Edmonton, Alberta, Vader's criminal record got a little longer. He was convicted of failure to attend court and was sentenced to 30 days to be served concurrently Hmm. with failure to comply with recognizance, also another 30 days, and failure to comply with recognizance. So he was on probation. Okay. And he hadn't been checking in as he was supposed to. Yeah. Over a year after the McCann's disappearance, Vader was still in jail awaiting trial on charges unrelated to the case involving Lyle and Marie McCann. Lyle and Marie were still missing. There was no sign of them despite a wide-sweeping search of the region where they disappeared. And their RV and their SUV were found. Yeah, they, this was all over the news pretty quickly from, from the, as soon as they were missing. And so I can remember uh, all of this concern. On July 20th, 2011, partially thanks to the evidence collected, the court declared Lyle and Marie McCann deceased. Hmm. So a year later, yeah, the RCMP refused to comment on their continuing investigation into the McCann's disappearance, only saying that they believe the McCann's died on the very day that they disappeared, July 3rd, 2010. Yeah. It was presumed they'd been murdered for their possessions. On July 30th, 2011, the day that everybody should have been celebrating the McCann's 59th wedding anniversary, family, friends, and members of their community gathered in the St. Albert Catholic Church to say a tearful goodbye to Lyle and Marie. Oh, that's sad. A billboard was erected on the Yellowhead Highway near the place where the McCann's had been traveling, offering a $60,000 reward. It read, Please help find our parents, Lyle and Marie McCann. Missing since July 3rd, 2010, a smiling picture of Lyle and Marie in happier days took up about half of the billboard. Mm. On December 12th, 2011, in Evansburg, Alberta, before a judge, more charges were laid and led guilty to by Travis Edward Vader. Hmm. One, possession of a controlled substance, and that was a one-day sentence. Oh, boy. Careless use of a firearm. Another one-day sentence with a five-year firearm prohibition. Possession of stolen property under $5,000. 
also a one-day sentence. Ooh, yeah. If he's not serving these uh, combined, then he's looking at like three whole days here. Well, it's all concurrent. Driving while unauthorized, another one-day sentence. But there were more charges and more convictions to come, so this guy wasn't getting out anytime yeah. soon. Yeah, I think a lot of these are just so that they can try to hold him, keep an eye on him. You are picking up what I'm throwing down here. December 22nd, 2011, Edmonton, Alberta, before another judge. There were charges from December 2009 mm. that hadn't been dealt with by Mr. Vader. Mm -mm. And he was convicted of the following. One, break and enter with the intent to commit an indictable offense. Two times operating a motor vehicle while disqualified. Break and enter of a property which is not a dwelling house. Theft under $5,000. Failure to comply with recognizance, possession of stolen property over $5,000, three times possession of stolen property under $5,000, arson, failure to comply with recognizance. So for that, he was sentenced to 33 months in prison. Okay, better. However, he was given some time served, yet more charges were pending. Hmm. But what about Marie and Lau McCann? Well, I'm assuming that they're still trying to find the bodies at this point and, and compile more concrete evidence. I would say that you are correct. The system was doing everything they could to keep this turkey behind bars. Yeah. They didn't want him to escape. Yeah, makes sense. They still hadn't charged him with anything related to the McCann's disappearance or murder, and he'd been in jail for over two years. On April 18th, 2012, albeit mostly circumstantial without the bodies, cops in the Crown felt they had the evidence they needed to convict Vader of McCann's deaths, and they charged him with two counts of first-degree murder. Mm -hmm. On May 1st, 2012, Vader is convicted of drug trafficking, theft, and weapons charges that occurred in the Barhead area in June of 2010, a month before the McCann's went missing. Mm. So another conviction... However, on October 19th, 2012, things went sideways. Before he could be sentenced for these offenses, a judge declared a mistrial because evidence was not properly disclosed to the defense. Oh, shit. Justice June Ross called the RCMP negligent and ordered a new trial on the drug charges. Hmm. On February 7th, 2014, Vader filed a million-dollar lawsuit against justice officials and the RCMP. Vader charged that they kept him behind bars on trumped-up charges until he could be charged with murdering the McCanns. Hmm. Things went horribly wrong on March 19, 2014. The Crown Prosecutor, Michelle Doyle, issued a stay on the murder charges only days before the murder trial was set to start. Oh, shit. It had been revealed that the RCMP had not given all their evidence to Vader's lawyers as they were legally bound to and thus caused the mistrial in the previous trial. <sighs> so guess what happens with this guy? He released. It was a horrific blow to the McCann's family and friends. The Crown stated that they had one year to recommence proceedings. Travis's lawyer saw it another way. He said he felt the prosecution's case was far too weak to ever proceed to trial. Oh, man. And as we've mentioned before, a stay in proceedings typically means that it's not going to happen ever. On April 22nd, 2014, Travis filed another lawsuit alleging misconduct by the RCMP, malicious prosecution by the Crown, and mistreatment by prison guards. So is your blood boiling there yet, Scott? Oh, I'm fucking livid. <laughs> I knew you would be by this case. It, like, got, it got worse. 
Of course. On October 8th, 2014, after his second trial on theft, drugs, and weapons charges, on October 8th, 2014, after his second trial on theft, drugs, and weapons charges, Travis Vader was found not guilty. He was free to go. Oh, shit. He had no more charges pending. He'd served his time for everything the RCMP could manage to pin on him. He was picked up outside the remand center where he had been kept, and he had some words for the press before they drove off. And here's what he had to say, Scott. It feels good to be out for sure. It does. It's been a long time. What do I say to McCann family? My heart goes out to him. Really, it does. Truly. Um, I can imagine what they went through, you know, but I think at the end of the day, when this is all brought to light, they'll see what the RCMP did to them. I destroyed my life, you know, a witch hunt. Put me in, four, in jail for four years to investigate me when there was nothing there to begin with. It's horrible. What do my children think? What do they went through? How do you explain four years of life's gone? Four years? So there you have it. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on those statements, Scott? Uh, he seems pretty smug. Um, I can't fucking stand him. I'm, it To me, it seems clear that he is involved, if not guilty, of this. And um, it, he's making it out that he's the victim. That, uh, you know, going to sue or is suing. like So he's trying to profit off of being a murderer. Correct. Fuck him. Thankfully, Vader's freedom was to be short-lived. Oh, good. Only two months later, on December 19th, 2014, Travis Edward Vader was arrested and again charged with the first-degree murders of Lyle and Marie McCann. Good. This time, the prosecution was ready. Yes, the case was still mostly circumstantial, but they had some strong physical evidence putting Vader in the McCann's SUV. Timelines with texts between Vader and his girlfriend, Amber Williams, even using the McCann's own phone at least twice. Mm. The trial began with the prosecution laying out its case. Many of Vader's associates were witnesses for the prosecution, including Bandana Dave, Amber Williams, and a man named Bulmer, who Vader had lived with for a time. He had seen Vader with two firearms, a 22 caliber rifle and a larger caliber hunting rifle. Another witness placed the loaded guns in the F-350 as <laughs> late as July 5th, 2010, and that's two days after it is believed that the McCanns were murdered. <laughs> the most serious evidence was DNA evidence, placing Travis Vader in possession of the McCanns' belongings and inside their SUV yep. from trial proceedings. The Crown's experts concluded certain matches had been established. DNA recovered via a swab of the can of boxer beer located in the armrest of the SUV matched Mr. Vader's DNA. A complete DNA profile was developed. The probability of a random individual having the same DNA profile is 1 in 3 trillion. Hey, so it's possible, right? <laughs> However, not probable. <laughs> DNA recovered from a blood stain on the SUV center console rest matched Mr. Vader's DNA. Mm. A complete DNA profile was developed there as well. The probability of a random individual having the same DNA profile is 1 in 3 trillion. 
Yep. DNA recovered from a tissue located in the SUV matched Mr. Vader's DNA. This was a complete DNA profile. The probability of a random individual having the same DNA profile is one in three trillion. That's a lot of trillions. Yeah. So it's looking like this is definitely him. For sure. DNA recovered from the inner sweatband of the Vopak hat matched Mr. Vader's DNA. A complete DNA profile was developed. The probability of a random individual having the same DNA profile is one in three trillion. Again with the trillions. DNA recovered via a swab of the SUV steering wheel matched Mr. Vader's DNA. Only a partial DNA profile was developed, and the probability of a random individual having the same DNA profile is 1 in 7.4 billion. So, Still a significant uh, amount of billions. Yes. DNA from the bloodstains located on the no-name cans found in the SUV matched Marie McCann's DNA. So we've got... Uh, Blood from the victim, yeah. too. One yep. of the victims. Yeah, in the same location as his DNA. The probability of a random individual having the same DNA profile is 1 in 4.6 billion. DNA recovered from a blood stain located on the back left front passenger seat of the SUV matched Mr. Vader's DNA. And this was a partial profile and with a lower probability of 1 in 12 million. Hmm. But there's a lot of other very much stronger DNA evidence there. Mm. Here's one that bugged me. Multiple locations on the Bogues hat were tested. DNA was recovered that matched Lyle McCann's DNA. And in one instance, a bloodstain revealed a mixture of DNA from Lyle McCann and Mr. Vader. So it sounds to me like they mm. were fighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To get both of their blood mixed, there's got to be some close contact the probability of a random individual having the same DNA profile as Lyle McCann's contribution is 1 in 34 billion. And the probability of a random individual having the same DNA profile as Mr. Vader's contribution is 1 in 140,000. So it was a very partial DNA, but, mm -hmm. but it, it is disturbing. Yep. The Bogues hat also had a hole in it. This, an expert testified, was made by a small caliber firearm being fired at close range, passing through the brim into the wearer, whose blood was then spattered on the hat. Oh, shit. Cell phone evidence, text between friends, and pings from towers established timelines and positioning of Travis Edward Vader. Hmm. For more court documents, the McCann cell phone records indicate it was used in two periods on July 3rd from 2.14 in the afternoon to 4.32 in the afternoon. All communications were attempts to contact Amber Williams, who was oh. Travis Vader's girlfriend. Yep, okay. Here are the two text messages sent during this period. Hey, babe, it's me. How are you doing today? You can still text me. You can still text my phone. I can receive text. I miss you so much. And that was the 228. Mm -hmm. I have been trying to call you and text you and email you and Facebook you. I can't get in touch with you. It's me, T. And that's from July 3rd, 2010 at 2.32 uh, in the afternoon. The telephone calls, which were not answered, had the McCann cell phone connect to the Pioneer, Chip Lake, and Carrot Creek cell phone towers. Mm. I don't know. Lyle McCann wouldn't be texting Amber Williams. Nope, nope. And I don't think Marie would uh, be texting Amber Williams, uh, especially saying, it's me, T. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have a, my, my gut tells me I know what his defense is going to go with. Okay. Well... Here, the defense went to work. They tried to discredit the prosecution witnesses. 
their character was called into question. For sure. They claimed it wasn't Vader at all using the McCann's cell phone. It was someone else because T doesn't stand for anything but T. <laughs> sure. Defense counsel. <laughs> well, there's lots of other names that begin with T. There's Tim. Thomas. Yeah. There's also Turdball. Turd Nugget. Yeah. Defense counsel indicated their belief that Bandana Dave Olson and another man were behind the murders. Sure. They even presented, well, that's why Bandana Dave tattled, right? Yeah, I, I get Let's it. Let's put but the heat on this other guy that I gave the SUV to. Yeah, except Bandana Dave's DNA isn't mixed with the murder victim. Well, maybe the Bandana Dave was, was a mastermind and he was much more careful. It's clearly why as soon as you, when you hear the name Bandana Dave, you think mastermind. If you look up Bandana Dave in the picture that you see, you'll, you'll think. It totally reminds me of Moriarty from Sherlock. It's just this evil genius. I don't want to be killed by Bandana Dave. I have <laughs> opinions here. <laughs> They even presented witnesses who claimed that they'd seen the McCanns at the campground uh, at the lake on the 4th of July, but their testimony didn't seem to hold up under cross-examination. Mm. So it was people who thought they'd seen something that yeah, perhaps yeah. did not. Potentially well-intentioned, but yep. uh, just wrong. There was even a theory presented that Vader's DNA had gotten into the SUV by way of a sneeze. Oh, Achoo. No, okay, that, that explains it all. So We're I'm good. looking into, Bandana Dave's got the SUV there, so I'm looking into it and I happen to sneeze while I'm... Makes total sense. Because Bandana Dave is a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, the evil genius. I, I can't do it. I have. <laughs> In the end, the prosecution won out, sort of. After all sides were presented, the judge went away to make his decision. The findings were as follows. Oh, no jury on this one? Nope. Trial by bench, hmm. which actually, if I'm ever charged with anything, mm -hmm. I would choose trial by bench. Well, why is that? Well, you got to have pretty good evidence to get by a judge. Yep. And not uh, a lack of emotion involved in the decision. Yep. I'm, I am wondering whether the OJ trial would have gone differently if it was a bench trial. Yeah, probably. But that's probably why they didn't go with a bench trial. Exactly. So if you're not guilty, choose a bench trial. In Mike's legal opinion. I am not an expert in any of the cases we, we cover, nor should you pay any attention to me. I disagree with that. I think you are uh, uh, totally oh, shit. a professional. Yeah, I'm a professional. Uh, Maker-upper. Spewer of yeah. podcasts. Yeah. Here's what the judge's findings of fact were from the evidence. The McCanns were westbound on Highway 16 and encountered Travis Vader between 12.15 and 2.14 on July 3rd. 2010 on that main highway and this encounter was in a rural location away from any community or residents to minimize the risk of observation or interruption. The McCanns were either in their RV or very close to it when that encounter occurred. Mr. Vader knew the RV was occupied or very likely to be occupied. Mr. Vader initiated contact between himself and the McCanns and their RV slash SUV. Mr. Vader chose to initiate that encounter and could have picked alternate target vehicles. Travis Vader's intention was to steal the McCann RV slash SUV and its contents. Mr. Vader could not have known the number and kind of occupants of the RV. As an intelligent criminal, he would only initiate that contact if he believed he could control the occupants of the RV. Mr. Vader had a firearm or firearms when he initiated contact with the McCann vehicles. 
He planned to use the firearms to control and dominate any occupants of the RV and complete the theft. Yep. Travis Vader's firearm was loaded. It subsequently fired a shot. And we proved that through the hat. Through the, hat. Yep. the McCanns were unarmed. Their guns were left home. Violence occurred between the McCanns and Mr. Vader. Blood was shed. Mr. Vader's firearms were discharged at least once. During that violence and bloodshed, or at some point later, both McCanns were killed by Mr. Vader. Mr. Vader relocated the McCann vehicles to a concealed location, most likely the Sampson Rotor property, which is on the south side of Highway 16 and west of Range Road 144. Mr. Vader used the McCann phone between 2.14 and 3.55 on July 3rd, 2010. Mr. Vader detached the McCann SUV from the RV and traveled to Dave Olson's residence in Piers, where he arrived around 5.15 and later left around 7.35. Mr. Vader subsequently took active steps to dispose of the McCann's bodies in an unknown location, such that exact cause of their deaths cannot be determined. And on July 5th, 2010, Travis Vader burned the McCann RV to destroy evidence that it contained. Yep. Because there's no other reason to burn no. the, the RV unless you're trying to conceal evidence. So after that finding of fact, on September 15th, 2016, Judge D.R.G. Thomas found Travis Vader guilty of second-degree murder. Hmm, I guess because not premeditated. I'm imagining is why second-degree... It had to be over by then, right? Yeah. No. Oh, great. The defense filed for a mistrial based on their belief that the judge had made a mistake in his findings by misapplication of part of the Criminal Code of Canada involving murder during another offense. Oh, shit. So here's another crazy twist to this wacky case. On November 8th, 2016, the judge brought down his decision on the mistrial. It was denied, thankfully. Phew. The judge agreed, though, that the guilty findings for second-degree murder were not correct. Oh. The finding was, I vacate the finding in that Travis Vader is guilty of second-degree murder for his killing of Lyle and Marie McCann, and also vacate the related convictions entered by me on September 15th. Hmm. I substitute the verdicts of guilty beyond a reasonable doubt for the lesser and included offenses of manslaughter of Lyle and Marie McCann near Piers, Alberta, on or about July 3rd, 2010. So Fuck. manslaughter times two, but at least it's a conviction, right? Which, I mean, legally, I can understand why that could be the case. Because it, he, he might not have intended to kill them, reacting to a fight and stuff. So I, I can understand manslaughter, but emotionally, that pisses me the fuck off. Yeah. At his sentencing, Vader himself spent hours ranting that he had done his time and was being mistreated in jail by other prisoners and the guard. He claimed correction staff used excessive force against him and would yell over the loudspeakers, Where are the bodies, Travis? What did you do with them? Where are the McCanns? Hmm. He claimed he was subject to cruel and unusual punishment by way of overcrowding, excessive lockdowns, and dry selling. It, it so, cruel, unusual punishment by overcrowding. I don't know if like, that, that can be cruel and uncomfortable. Yeah. It's not unusual because no. lots of jails are overcrowded. No, absolutely. So dry selling, hmm. he mentioned that. Yeah. And is it? it is where you're put into a cell without water to the toilet when you're suspecting of having keistered something. Okay. Much like uh, Leston Lawrence in her last episode. <laughs> That's right. 
uh, and that's like drugs or contraband, and there would be no way to get rid of the evidence by flushing it away. Mm. He also claimed that other prisoners were mean to him and, oh. and violent. He said that one particular practice was disturbing from court documents. Mr. Vader complains that he was shit-bombed shortly after his 2010 arrest while at the old Edmonton Remand Center. Shit-bombing is a practice of certain inmates to harass others where an enclosed container, such as a rolled-up newspaper bag or bottle, is filled with feces and then placed beside the gap under a door and the container is compressed, ejecting its contents under the door into a space, i.e. the target cell. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, so just stomp on the bag and it would fire into the... In this situation or in this circumstance, yeah. You cool. Sh- so I find it hilarious. Yeah, I find it hilarious. Good. The prosecution was done, as was the defense after Travis punch-me-face Vader had finished. <laughs> he seriously does have a punch-me-face. Oh my gosh. Yeah, seriously. He's a big dude. I'd be, I'd actually be afraid of him. Yeah, but his face, every photo I've seen, he's just, he looks smug. Yeah. And like he deserves or wants to get punched in the face. Justice DRG Thomas passed sentence on Travis Edward Vader. On the two convictions for manslaughter and the unlawful killings of Lyle and Marie McCann on July 3rd, 2010, at or near Piers, Alberta, I sentenced Travis Edward Vader to a single term of life imprisonment. Hmm. For manslaughter, life imprisonment is a huge sentence. Yeah. Well, I think we know why he, he got this. Yeah. Yeah. That's the maximum sentence allowable in a case of manslaughter. Yeah. After Vader's sentencing, the McCann's son, Brett, spoke outside the courthouse about how he felt regarding what he'd just seen, uh, in particular Vader's hours-long self-centered rant. And here's what Brett had to say. Zero. I have have no sympathy for him. I heard sort of a a woe is me, uh, I'm a victim here, instead of... uh, you know, instead of uh, who the real victims are, my parents. He talked about being in prison for years there, and it doesn't sound like a very nice place, and I don't think it's supposed to be a very nice place. Be a man. Admit that you did this. Tell me where my parents' bodies are. Yeah, I couldn't agree with Brett more. Like, that's exactly. I quite like Brett. I I did a bit of... Uh poking around to learn a little bit little bit more about Brett McCann. Yeah. And he's really dealing with his anger constructively. He's become an advocate for stiffer sentencing, especially for those convicted of homicide who refuse to cooperate and allow victims' family closure by showing authorities where the bodies of their loved ones are located. Yeah, good If on you're you, found guilty, part of like ever getting out, hey, show us where the bodies are. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you, Brett. Travis still maintains his denial of any involvement in the disappearance or death of the McCanns. He has yet to show he is a man, and his case is going to appeal in October of 2018. Shit. Yeah, so this year, we'll be watching closely to see what transpires, and we'll probably end up talking about it on the Umberyard. Yeah. One thing I didn't mention was that, and I thought I had written it, I don't, it, call me on it if I, if I said it, but I'm but, uh, forgetting. Travis Vader is the father of seven. No, you didn't mention it. Wow. Yeah. So this turd ball. Fuck. Is a dad. Oh, I feel really, really sorry for his kids. Yeah. Well, oh. his, his wife left him. Uh, he had six daughters 
and one stepson from she had from a previous marriage mm, mm. or relationship. Yeah. And they moved away to BC. So they live here in British Columbia somewhere. The kids are victims here. Very, very much victims here as well. And, you know, have to live under the shadow of this cock. Yeah. Like it's just like. Cock yeah. is a good word. Yeah. Good word to describe him. He is. But like I say, we'll we'll update if anything comes of this. We may even do like a brief update episode. If he gets out of jail because of another mistrial or something, I will definitely, uh, I think we should put, put together an update of some form. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. One of our listeners, Eric, who I used to work with, he actually worked for me in, at that telecom. Mm -hmm. He had a connection with the McCanns. Well, crazy. He, one of his friends, one of his good buddies lived next door to the McCann's and he walked by that RV every time he went to his friend's place. Oh, wow. And so when he heard about this happening, he knew exactly the RV that they were looking for and what all a, that kind of stuff. That must have been a creepy uh, absolutely uh, experience for him to have to go through. So shout out to Eric for sharing that story with me. And, and we talked about that when we actually were working together. So I've hmm. been planning this one for months. Yeah. So before we go, we want to thank our patrons this week. First up is Stephanie Arsenault from Quebec City, Quebec. Yeah, hey, welcome, Stephanie. Thank you very much, Stephanie. She's uh, She comes in at our $5 level, so she'll be able to hear our after shows. There were there are 14 of them for you to listen to. Oh, are there that many already? There are. The ramblings of Scott. Yeah, well, uh, just to let folks know, there won't be one after this episode because uh, Scott has had uh, a death in the family. Okay, there you go. You yeah, can well, say that. Uh, there was a, my father-in-law uh, passed away two days ago. And so, so it's uh, so condolences to uh, your family and and your wife's family. Thank you. Yeah, so we're let we're just going to set Scott free after this. It was hard enough for him to get away just an hour because it's very it just happened. So yeah, it just happened. We were on vacation uh, and had to quickly run back so that we could uh, uh, take care of some things. And it's as everybody can imagine, it's a bit of a crazy hectic time. Yeah. So. So, yes, so sorry, folks, there won't be an after show. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, Steffi. Yeah. Stephanie, that you've uh, you've paid the money to hear one, and uh, it ain't going to be there. Yeah, well, you know what? There's there's a bunch that you can catch up on. Yep. Jasmine Sandu uh, from Surrey, British Columbia. She is from Surrey, B.C., so Why, right a on. neighbor. How about them apples? Right on, Jasmine. I wonder I wonder how close to us she is. Uh, I, we, want, I wonder if I've ever, like, because one of our other listeners from early on mm -hmm. is local, and I used to always run into her at Starbucks and stuff, so I wonder if I've ever bumped into Jasmine. You may have. Sue Maring Morrow, she is from Sedalia, Missouri. Oh, that's a neat little name. Sounds like a, it's a it, welcome, Sue. And uh, Sedalia sounds like it would be a very quaint little town. Jessica Reinstein, and she's from Abilene, Kansas. I know of Abilene, Texas, but mm. I didn't know there was an Abilene, Kansas as well. Well, there is, and welcome, Jessica. Jerry and Jaylene Weaver from New Westminster, BC. Thank you for becoming patrons. You are from Guru Kitty Studios at gurukitty.com. And it looks like you guys are some pretty awesome artists, if you ask me. I saw a lot of talent in there. Yeah, for sure. We were going through your site and I had an idea. I think Scott and I somehow need uh, like cartoon versions of ourselves somehow. So oh, wow. maybe uh, Guru Kitty 
you you folks and us folks can get together when I'm back and we'll we'll have a conversation. I think that's great, and I love New West. That's where I yeah I, we want to and I, we want to shop local too. Yeah, I grew up. I uh, lived from ten years old to about twenty five in New West. So so let's shoot the poo, Guru Kitty. Let's do it. Let's do it. And finally, Patrick McCormick, and he's from Ottawa, Ontario. I am going to make sure that I stand on Parliament Hill on my travels across Canada so I can have my photo taken of me in a dark poutine t-shirt on Parliament Hill because... Taken over. Well, I don't know about taking over. I do. Well, welcome, Patrick. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much for your pledges, everybody. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to donate to us, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. Or send us some donut money at PayPal via our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. Our website, uh, darkpoutine.com, is great for show notes. I'm adding more stuff there. So I'm adding even, if I have them, I'll add the court documents moving forward, that yeah, it's kind really, of stuff. It's really fascinating stuff to just take a peek through. Sure. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. And please tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is important. We had some interesting uh, developments yesterday. A friend of ours, Heather, is in Las Vegas. That is right. And she was talking to a random person in Las Vegas who was mentioning that he liked to listen to podcasts. And he's from where? Texas. So completely random. Completely yeah. random. She doesn't know him. He doesn't know her. He said one of his favorite podcasts, Dark Poutine. Sweet, sassy molasses. Holy moly. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. I love that kind of stuff. Oh, it's just such a great feeling. It and really so, is. And still so shocking because I still, I'm just like, it's me and Mike <laughs> sitting in front of Mike's yep. blathering. Blathering. We've got like. At my place. We've got people from Texas randomly bumping into our friends who are like, yeah, like it's just mind blowing. Yeah. So. Don't, uh, don't fall for the for this guy. It's just me and Mike. <laughs> so Heather sends me a picture of her and the guy together, and I send a picture back of myself waving. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's so awesome. It's very cool. Especially fun is our closed group, the Yumber Yard. Listen to as episode 12 if you want to know what Yumber Yard, where it came from. Yeah. Because people ask over and over again, episode 12, Yumber, Yumber Yard. Yard. We're pretty active there, so we we want to interact with you, and we love you, and all that kind of stuff. We're getting hot. Holy shit. You, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast directory like iTunes Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Spotify. That's it for this week, folks. And uh, the podcast will be on a bit of a hiatus, just FYI. Uh, I am going to be traveling and Scott is going to be here keeping the home fires burning. Mm -hmm. I hope to have some other content for you as I travel, but... I look forward to hearing that. Yeah, we may have... We are pro we're probably going to have at least two weeks without any podcast, so... Bear with us. Yeah, bear with... Well, Mike's, Mike's going to be globetrotting. I'm going to be globetrotting. Yeah. I'm going to try and post all kinds of interesting content to keep you folks in the loop and... That kind of thing. And I'm sure Scott will still be active in the Umber Yard. Absolutely. You can still communicate with us all through it. Yeah. So don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Love you, folks. Mm -hmm.